Hello and welcome to the Rhythm Changes Podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and this episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in New Westminster run by Anthony Santorini, one of my close friends. We love him. We love having 12th Street Sound as a sponsor of the show, and we're cooking up something big. Anthony has some specific offers that he's going to be making available to the listeners of this show, focusing on up-and-coming bands, bands on a budget, younger ensembles, people looking for something different to help them craft their own story as an artist, and especially make one of their first-ever projects. This is the kind of thing that Anthony's really good at. He's done it for me, personally, and I'm really happy to be rolling that out with you very soon this summer. But in the meantime, you should go to 12thstreet.ca slash booking, tell Anthony that the Rhythm Changes podcast sent you, see what he's cooking up, see what he can offer you to help you get going on your music this year in 2022. That's 12thstreet.ca slash booking, 12thst.ca slash booking, fill out the form to get going on recording your music, mixing your tracks. Talk to Anthony, tell him that the Rhythm Changes podcast sent you. I feel like it's going to be almost like coasting down the hill at full freaking, like we're coming down the Coca-Cola, kind of like rocking at 140 kilometers an hour at least. That's kind of the vibe that I'm getting. Well, hello and happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, the only weekly interview podcast about jazz and creative music in Canada. The 2022 Vancouver Jazz Festival is here and this show is your guide to the personalities, music and new creations happening in the Vancouver jazz scene and beyond right now with over 50 conversations to date. Today, we have a special conversation that takes you a little bit under the hood here at Rhythm Changes. That's up next. Our guest today is the producer of the gig list at Rhythm Changes. He helps me immeasurably in putting that list together. And he's also a trumpet player, a teacher, a sousaphone player, uh, somebody I've known in the Capilano University jazz community for 10-ish years now. And he's my first summer guest on the show. So we're here in the sauna studio together. We're going to have a good time talking about the Jazz Fest opening weekend we've already experienced and the shows we're looking forward to that are coming up next. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Rory Hislop. Thank you so much, Will. How are you doing? Uh, we're good. We're warm. Very warm. Not too hot, <laughs> but warm. No, it's what we need. Yeah. Oh, and it was a warm weekend, too. It was just like, boom, summer right now. And boom, festival season starts right now. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I got my sunburning done last weekend. So this weekend was so totally chill. <laughs> So I want to talk about the shows we've seen this weekend, because a lot's gone down, more than either of us could catch, as we know. But we know that in part because we're making this list, right? And there's going to be podcast listeners, it's funny, who know me, but they don't know you. There's going to be some other people who know you better than they know me. So as the, the man behind the curtain of the gig list, so to speak... I will tell you mine if you don't know it. I think mine was in the group chat that we had with Tim Reinert when we were putting it together, the story of how I actually walked into it. But I don't know if I even know this. Like, how did you end up being roped into the Gigglist project in the first place? Uh, I, I literally just saw Tim post on Facebook, yo, who wants to do this? And I had this like deeply nostalgic memory of always going on to VancouverJazz.com and going to the calendar and being like, okay, who's this guy, Brian Nation, that does this calendar? Okay, cool. Yeah. And then there's always be the like forum posting of like the weekly updates by uh, 
by new. And it was always just like my weekly thing, mm-hmm. like 2010, 2011, yeah. just every week going on, checking out what's up. Okay. What am I going to catch this week? Call my parents in between college classes. Like, Oh, I'm going to see these shows today. <laughs> oh, Dad, I'm going to see this today. And just like, it really helped shape my college experience and it kind of sucked that it wasn't happening because it's a lot of work but when it's there it's so nice and i was like man i kind of have time in between teaching and gigging and all this stuff let's freaking do it so i just messaged him i was like let's do it but but he was already asking at that point right yeah yeah and so I just quickly hopped on and I immediately was like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll help, but we should host it on Rhythm Changes. So you, you said, okay, okay. So yeah, that's how I got in because then I was either you or him who reached out to me and it was already a fully formed idea. You know, all I had to do was accept. Yeah. Well, it, it was fully formed because we totally took the formatting from, or the idea from VancouverJazz.com, which is such an amazing resource that's still there. Yeah. Um, I love looking back in kind of Vancouver jazz history and it's a really cool piece. There's some gnarly it's a time capsule. It's a time capsule. It's very 2010 on that forum for some, a little while. It's, it's almost very 2001. Some of it too, yeah. as well. It goes back, it goes back, quite, it actually goes back into their late nineties too, but yeah, especially early two thousands, you know, this is even not just pre Facebook, but pre uh, MySpace. Actually, I was I was thinking about this earlier because I was looking up different things that were happening, um, even outside our list, like some of the Victoria stuff. And somehow I landed on uh, Sean Dravitt because Sean Dravitt's coming to Frankie's After Dark, right? Saw that. Uh, shout out to Sean, amazing bass player. Uh, but on his uh, Facebook profile, you know, you, even if you have a personal Facebook account, you can have one link out to whatever you want, right? So. On his Facebook profile, it links to his MySpace page. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it links to his Vancouver Jazz profile. Oh, no, with, that would be hit. With the Brian Nation photos. <laughs> that's like that. If you haven't seen already, like that's kind of one of the coolest things about the website is all these like archival historic photos, like portraits that were taken. And they're just beautiful of, yeah. of everyone. So younger listeners who have never seen it, go check it out. Go to, go to VancouverJazz.com. It, we don't we don't own it we don't control it we don't get any benefit from saying that of course but we've we've checked it out and we find it sometimes it's funny sometimes it's charming and it's really cool it's like portraits of the scene over the past 20 plus years 15 to 20 years especially and uh it's unique and we gotta we gotta keep it alive but so far somebody's keeping it alive so it can't complain yeah it's a it's beautiful it's fun <laughs> but i tell people now in the cap community now or recent grads over the last couple of months, I've told them, like, there's more stuff going on now than I can ever remember. Do you agree with that? Yes and no, because I feel like we can't really speak to it while we were in it. Like, while we were the CAP students, True. you always have this, like, perception of, like, oh, it was always so much better. It was always so much better. But now I feel like we're kind of, like, looking back, we're like, oh, my God, no, it's it's really good now. It's a lot, a lot right now. I can't remember the choice of venues of on the same night feeling like there's multiple things that you wouldn't want to miss. Like that happens pretty regularly now. And I, I don't remember that so much because there were just fewer venue choices. Like, yeah, there were solid venues that were holding it down in any given year, but the abundance of options of where to go now is just on another level, I think. Yeah. I think that time in between like the seller closing 
and Frankie's really kind of kicking it and was it was a it was a tough time. Yeah. We lost like El Barrio around that time too. Yeah. Oh, I want to do an episode with Jess where we talk about that among other things. That's on the on the queue for sure for the Rhythm Changes podcast. And I was even out during those years. Those were my band years and my my folk music years, so I missed it. But yeah, what this period you're talking about is like roughly 2014, 15, 16. And then Frankie's in its current form really kind of started coming together around like 2016, 17. That's also around the same time that a lot of our friends graduated from CAP too. So yeah, but what an, what an amazing time. Like Ross Taggart was playing a whole bunch at, at El Barrio. Kind of, um, Hugh Fraser had just kind of come back into town. I think some of his health stuff was started really starting around then, but like it was happening. Yeah. There was lots of things happening. There still were. Yeah, for sure. Even though it didn't quite feel like it, but man, I, it's something I want to talk about, about this weekend, but like there's so much happening in Vancouver right now. Like it's busy. Like maybe, maybe I'm just going to jump straight into it. Yeah. Yeah. But so this weekend I was like, okay, I got all these things, all these shows to see. And on Sunday, none of them were jazz fest. I had oh, to go I out see. of my way to go see a jazz fest show. And these are just things that's happening in Vancouver. So like there was a big block party um, was happening. The Jimmy James group, they all showed up to this block party. Fabian Kadani was there. Like we were, we were jamming. It was, it was a great time. That's not even a jazz fest. Not event, even a jazz yeah. fest thing. So that was amazing. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really great to see. And th- this conversation comes up, I think, every year around Jazz Fest. It's like, when do we show up to gigs? Mm-hmm. Are we showing up because it's Jazz Fest? Or are we showing up year round because these things are always happening regardless of Jazz Fest? Well, I know the answer for you and me. It's year round. <laughs> <laughs> it's year round. The Jazz Fest, I think, brings those cool opportunities like seeing Lewis Cole. Yeah. That was definitely the one that, I mean, at least from this opening weekend, that was the most talked about one among the people I was chatting with and messaging with. That's the one that people were bringing up the most as something that they were stoked to see out of everything else. I heard about that show more often than any other one. And I didn't make it to that one because I was doing something else, which I'll talk about in a second, but you did. You went there. So tell me about it. How was it? The Lewis Cole Big Band. Lewis Cole Big Georgia Band. Georgia Street Stage Outdoors. Free concert. It was it was fun. They they did all the classic Lewis Cole Big Band moves which is, if you've never seen it, they, they got matching skeleton onesies on. He starts the show by doing a loop and then just holds a big long note as the band rolls in. They got the dancing. They got the, the whole shtick. Um, but the crowd was loving it. It was, it was busy, like 5.30 on Saturday afternoon. Time slot. It's a really good time slot. Saw Tim. Yeah. Saw Tim there. Uh, he wasn't sold at the beginning, but I think by the end, he was into it. He was into it? Oh, cool, he, yeah. He, he, he said he he gets it he understands (laughs) but yeah it was lots of fun lots of dancing lots of jumping up and down lots of singing along to the tunes because it's it's essentially a pop band no it was it was a real good hang yeah yeah so that 5 30 on saturday july 25th so i was hosting the music at water street all weekend uh and bonnie northgraves is back doing it now but bonnie had a bunch of gigs this opening weekend so i jumped in there on spot duty and so that was when one of my nights started was right at that time and otherwise I was definitely going to be at that particular show but yeah at Water Street the night before that on the Friday I heard Dave Sakula with Jeff Gammon and Joe Poole which was super swinging and then 
brunch the next day, heard some Django-style jazz duo, uh, Aaron Lowen on guitar and Winston Winkler on bass. And then that night, this was during that Lewis Cole time slot, I heard David Blake, Eli Davidovici, and Millie Hong. Massive for me. You know, they were graduating around the time I showed up, so they were like the people I looked up to right away. And I actually got the chance to tell them that after that gig, which was really sweet because I don't think I ever would have before, but telling them they were a big influence on me. Um, for sure. Yeah, they're such great players. They're also like kind and welcoming. Like, man, like uh, Eli and Mealy both played on my grad recital. Yeah. Uh, I met Eli when we were both in high school. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. And man, they've just always been just so great. Yeah. Uh, Growing up in East Van yeah, together. Yeah. Exactly. They got, I, I'm not sure if they're doing it actively, but they had a Patreon for a while. They were doing yes. the. Um, what they were doing called? Jam with Millie and Eli. They yeah, were Jam playing with Millie and Eli. That was cl- accompaniment that was so tracks good. for standards. Is that yeah. what they were doing? Yeah. And they, that was lots of fun if it's still out there. Yeah. Those are some real good play-alongs. Hey, if you ever want to uh, bring that content into the Rhythm Changes world, let me know. We can, we can, <laughs> we can, we can do a partnership <laughs> we'll or do something. do a little sell here. Keep it going. <laughs> a pitch on the show. <laughs> uh, no, they're, they're great. And then uh, that was the end of my hosting duties. And then the next day I was back again, though, for a fourth consecutive show and that was uh my good friend madeline elkins from here in new west and chad galfman on the bass playing some duo as well so i was basically just living at the water street eating all my meals there it's a pretty good situation i can't complain but how's the yeah. food there <laughs> oh it's not bad okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, really, it's really good um and then yeah i got to pop out a little bit in the afternoon to hear mary anchetta oh yeah yeah were you, were you there for that i wasn't there yeah. but like that band they're so good yeah right off the jump it was like this you know heavy groove and some funky chords and dominic conway soloing on sax and matt reed on bass it was very heavy that guy man he's they're they're all just i love it it's so fun and like these are vancouver people who are playing here year round yeah exactly we're so lucky to have them yeah but it is cool that you get the the timing right so that you can celebrate them with a bigger audience but yeah totally you can hear these people doing other things all year round and we do but then the eternal question to tie it back to VancouverJazz.com and the forums is there's 25 years of internet history, and I'm sure this has been a decades and decades conversation of people asking the same question over and over again, right? Which is, how do we translate the Jazz Fest energy into the year round? Sometimes yeah. it's phrased as like, well, the Jazz Fest publicizes that there are 600,000 attendees, that that's their impact. Uh, in total in the festival weekend like there's over half a million people who attend these free shows and all the concerts on aggregate where do they all go after july 3rd or whatever like that's people have been asking that on the internet in our community for over 20 years and probably as long as there's been a jazz festival right i mean obviously we can't find the answer to that today but (laughs) it's an interesting question when you go out and hear the local bands shine on a big stage like that and you know that these are the same people who are our friends and are going at it year round like what do you do right yeah it's interesting like how many people are coming from out of town to see these because i know there's like the ironworks crew that comes right. in from from washington state and they're a staple of the ironworks so tell me about that because this is this is i think a funny because we have a group chat running you and i and, and tim we do and i'd say most days we're chipping in our jokes and thoughts about how we're feeling about uh the stuff we're doing in the jazz community and i know that Tim is really, he knows a lot about this particular area of the scene. And I got the impression that you do as well, certainly to a bigger extent than me. 
I mean, I, I would confess that I, I am more of a straight ahead guy, I would have to admit, and that this is something I don't know a lot about. And you're telling me, but I do know that this is arguably one of the most hardcore fan groups in the jazz community as a whole, and that they really turn out and they support this kind of avant-garde music, or I think what Coastal Jazz calls it is the innovation series at Ironworks, right? Like, tell me more about this, because you just alluded to these people coming, yeah, coming in. Like, what is this, what is this sub, sub scene like? There's like a good like handful of of people who are at every single Ironworks show. And like I'm one of those people who tries to like if I only go to one Jazz Fest show, it's a late night Ironworks show. Okay, yeah. There's something about the venue that like brings like a really good creative sense and like exploratory. It might be the art, might be the might be the, the room. ambience of it is really special, yeah, yeah, for sure. Might be the people might be the history i don't know but it's it's this little weird family that comes together during jazz fest because not all these people are around year round and like it's not like you can go out on any friday night and there's like friday night jazz at ironworks like that just doesn't happen like it's a special occasion exactly venue so it's it's pretty nice it was there's period of time where they weren't doing the late night sh- shows during the week which was a little sad but they've really ramped up the ironworks in the past couple of years which has been awesome to see. And is that also where a lot of, you know, there's like the in- international intergovernment music society partnerships where like there's musicians coming in from Europe and stuff. Is that tied into a lot of the Ironworks things too? I know that's a big thing for the Jazz Fest. I'm not certain if it's like advertises that, but it, it seems to be that case. Like, it seems that the musicians who are part of those international partnership lines, that's yeah. where they're coming to play. And that's the kind of music that they play a lot of the times. Yeah. Because that's the kind of music that, I would just think that a lot of those European governments, I imagine that's what they support. Like that's what, yeah. Those, well, and it's yeah. not only the Europeans, like lots of Americans come up, yeah. um, like probably one of my most life-changing shows was at Ironworks, um, Jazz Fest of 2010. I was stoked. I was so excited. It was, uh, Harris Eisenstadt's Canada Day, I believe was the group, uh, with Nate Woolley playing trumpet. And man, the stuff that I heard that guy play, I I did not know you could do on the trumpet. And like from that moment on, I'm like, oh, okay, I can play with the trumpet here. Like that's that's pretty sweet. But yeah, so I don't know. There's this nostalgic thing about about that venue, and I guess bringing in all the people. Like on on Saturday, um, saw a group with with JP Carter playing trumpet. They had changed the the timing of everything because of flight delays coming in. I heard about so that. I, We're not going to try and break that all down on this episode because yeah. that was quite an endeavor and great job actually to to Coastal Jazz for making that still work. But yeah, I heard that there was uh, flights and things that had to be shuffled around and they had to make sure that there was somebody who was in town to perform at Ironworks uh, on any given night this weekend. But it sounds like they did it. Yeah, so it was JP Carter... Uh, Leeson, uh, Rylander, Louvet, Luke Stewart, and Jason Nazari. Holy crap. It, yeah. was, it was awesome. And the best thing about it is I didn't know any of those people aside from JP. And they, it blew my mind. And it's kind of, I think that's one of those things about, about Jazz Fest. Is and you got roped in by a local performer to a bigger thing, right? To an international... Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, but I think that's the thing about Jazz Fest that really brings people together is this not knowing but also being open to these new experiences. Because during the year, you might look at the thing and be like, I don't know any of those people, whatever, and, and move on. But Jazz Fest, you're kind of, 
maybe you approach things with this more open open mind and yeah. open heart and you're ready for this whatever onslaught you're about to be taken on <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah you nailed it that's the role of the festival is to have the brand that's like okay you can trust that what we're going to bring you is going to be good and it's going to be fun even if it's new it's going to be new and good and that's our thing right that's if you're doing that then you're doing it right so that was on saturday night that was saturday night yeah after that show caught a ride with tim up to frankie's to see jimmy james trio with with john gross and uh brad turner sat in on the first tune they played voyage oh yeah which <laughs> i was talking to jimmy after he's like yeah man john called voyage and he, and I'm like, you're not going to give us a warm up too? Like, come on. Ooh, getting right <laughs> like, into that. They went straight into the fire. Tempo. <laughs> yeah. But they all were sounding killing. Yeah. Uh, John has such a powerful sound. It was captivating from the moment they started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brad Pearson on the bass. Yeah. Yeah. He's set up every instrument in this room. <laughs> great. I, I bring my school's instruments to him as well. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you when did you start teaching? Because I know we were talking off podcast that you have quite a background in coffee here in Vancouver. That, that yeah. you, you managed cafe lo- locations for a couple of years, but at some point you flipped into education after you graduated. So yeah, just so, as an aside, tell that story. So I did I did the performance stream at Cap when it was kind of its own thing. Uh, me and Leo Bay were the last people in that program. Great, uh, Leo Bay is a piano player who lives in Montreal now, I believe. Yeah, I uh, love his playing. Yeah, he's great, great player, great composer, great arranger. I got to play some gigs with him probably when Eli wasn't available when I was like 18 or 19 and he was just the best. He was yeah. hilarious. Um, so graduated performance degree and then kind of did the hanging out around town for a couple of years. Nothing was really happening for me. Not putting. I know in, what that feels like. Not putting in the right energy <laughs> in the right places. Who knows? Um, and then I actually, I actually broke my shoulder. Oh. And that really kind of put a wrench in any plans that I had had. Yeah, because you can't even hold the trumpet. Can't even hold the trumpet. Um, but I finally applied to go back to school. Applied at UBC and SFU. UBC didn't want me because I didn't have the prereqs from the education stream at CAP. Because I did performance, but SFU accepted me, and it was a really life-changing experience. I met Nicholas Bracewell, uh, oh, yeah. the drummer, going through that program as well. Um, so that was kind of a nice introduction to him, and he's killing it around town lately. Yeah, he plays with Jody all the time. Plays he plays in Rogaverse. Yeah. So that was 2019 that I started doing that. So yeah, I. So you graduated into COVID. I graduated during COVID. Did my practicum during. The first six months to a year of yeah, it, yeah. Which was pretty gnarly. Um, and started teaching right after that in the spring and kind of got a gig lined up at, at a high school in Burnaby pretty quickly. Did you feel like that was good timing? Like that you had a new thing in your life at that time, at that big shift? Or was it just pure stress or a little bit of both? It, it was like cathartically perfect like okay everything lined up well because i was planning on quitting whatever i was doing at the time just to try and play but that didn't happen but yeah kind of got this okay well at least at least i have this path so i could see the light at the end of the tunnel kind of deal yeah and now now we're here got a marching band teach jazz band at 7 a.m a couple days a week <laughs> um it's really inspiring to get to see and hear what young people are trying to do and trying to think and trying to find ways to support 
those ideas, not trying to impose old things on them, but trying to guide them into things that will really help them flourish in their developing their own voices. So I got a couple couple going on to CAP next year to study. Oh, cool. Yeah, I got a trombone player, a vocalist, who's also a wicked bass player and, and trumpet player, um, and a piano player. Multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. So are you teaching like a concert band, or are you teaching an out-and-out jazz band as well? Or what, uh, what so you... my course load, I, I do guitar classes. Ah, yes. Um, I get jazz band, I get marching band, and then uh, grade eight bands. Oh, so you get to do it all. I get to do it all. Oh, that's My fun. favorite... Grade eight, grade eight band, just normal band class. Grade eight. You, they're so open to things if you create the right environment, and it you can really help show them all these different things. Like they love it when you show them all the weird stuff. They might at first kind of give you this, oh, this is stupid, but you're like, kind of get get over that immaturity of the twelve and thirteen year olds. They're yeah. they're really creative and they're. They can totally grasp these really heavy concepts that we struggle with, like especially in like improvised music and like it's hard to keep their attention span for long enough to have things be really, really good, but they they get it. Yeah. They get like, okay, I can I can play. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're they they're not bound by preconceived notions or rules that they've been told. Yeah. Try to get in early and tell them that they can make the, the rules to their music interesting i've got one more selfish question to you about that because i often say to my friends um that i don't have what it takes to be a school teacher and that's why you know i never even considered finishing the program at cap and now that i have friends my own age who are doing it that's even more obvious to me because i can see how good they are at it and there's certain traits that you need that i just know they've never been my strong suit and so i've always shied away from ever even considering going down that path but i mean you're telling me that it's kind of arbitrary picking your major at cafe you pick performance right and did you see yourself as a future teacher while you were going through there or did you not when i started at cap absolutely okay and then like two years in when you're 20, 21, yeah. and your ego's so inflated, you're like, I, I'm just going to play. I'm going to play trumpet. I'm going to be that, <laughs> do that thing. And then you kind of shift out. But then you often find your way back to, to the path that you had originally set for yourself. And yeah, it kind of comes and goes. But I think to be a good teacher is to just be accepting of the people who are coming into your space and not try and impose yourself too much. But just try and help them on the way. Like one of my teachers at SFU, she would always ask the question, okay, now what? And like just trying to go into each day with that, now what? Mentality is the goal, especially because we're teaching creative music um, and you want to teach the history, but you also want to teach the next history, which is the kids, so... Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if this is a central thing that he tells a lot of students or if I just happened to catch this one day and it left an outsized impact on me. But I remember one thing that Brad Turner was teaching us, some of me and my other high school friends when we were starting to play and like be playing our bands at the high school band festivals and he'd be doing the clinics, right? And so he would tell us that like one of the main questions in jazz is what happens next? And like if you're able to think about what happens next while you're playing, I guess just means 
literally getting outside of how do you play what you're trying to execute right now. And if you can think about what happens next and what makes that exciting, then that's how you think about improvising and playing jazz is just boiling it down to this question of what happens next. And I still think about that. I still think that's a useful way to think about it. It's like the what now, right? Yeah. Even when you're doing a teaching job or something like that. I'm, I'm going to bring it back to Jazz Fest for a yeah, second yeah. and kind of thinking about like teachers and stuff. Um, there's awesome workshops happening at like the Roundhouse next weekend, which is July 2nd and 3rd. Mm -hmm. I think on the 1st as well on Canada Day. That'll be pretty sweet. Um, but it was actually a, a now, now Orchestra um, workshop that I got this from, but the reason why I'm shouting it out and makes sense in a second uh, was from this bass player, Tommy Babin. And he's like my go-to guy during Jazz Fest. Like I can see Tommy play. It's been a good year. This year, I think July 2nd at the Ironworks. Mm -hmm. Super excited for that show. Um, but one of the things that he, he told me, it's this just getting straight into like improv with the kids, um, bringing back to the kids, Jazz Fest kids. Um, like you're either doing one of three things. You're playing melodies. You're playing counter melodies. You're playing bass lines. Okay, not even saying harmony, right? Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. So simple concepts to give to kids. Yeah. So kind of, <laughs> what's that's next? That's good, because if you don't and have to think about harmony one. and rhythm, yeah. you know, like those are big, you can get overwhelmed if you have to think too much about harmony and rhythm. I like that. Yeah. 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 Connecting like improv music, so like the things that you see at Ironworks mm -hmm. with that like interlocking idea. It's like, okay, that one thing that you might be doing where where is it fitting in and having to create this really just euphoric or cathartic or whatever this really strong emotion hopefully strong emotion yeah happens to be at the time that the music's going to give you like that's why i love going to see those ironwork shows is because you never really know what you're going to experience and you're just looking for those moments where the band is just they just lock in on these melodies or rhythms or sounds yeah yeah like on uh, saturday at ironworks it happened a, a couple times where they the whole band just locked in together and it was it was almost emotional at times for me it was just it felt heavy yeah that's what it's all about right that's and that's what you want you know when i'm going to hear straight ahead gigs you know you want to catch some of that too in the straight ahead playing so it's something that they're searching for but there is this super powerful form of it that comes from these kind of more avant-garde gigs I get it. I, I, I can see it now, even though it's not something that I grew up appreciating as much. I can, I've come to, to understand a little bit. And now I feel like if I go out to more of these things, then I'll be able to appreciate it more than I could have before. Whereas before I was probably pretty close-minded about it. I was like, why do I want to listen to this? It's not as interesting as like the mainstream stuff that I understand and that I, you know, I was, I totally would have thought that. Yeah. Speak the language of a little bit. It's just yeah. about learning languages. Yeah. Like it's all different languages yeah you're bilingual or trilingual or multilingual <laughs> and other times you're not <laughs> and until we yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm definitely not <laughs> until we really kicked this gig list at rhythm changes into high gear and and it kind of opened up what rhythm changes has been over the last couple months as things have opened up in general i've really been able to see the level of enthusiasm that there is in that sub scene that I never was privy to before because I didn't go out of my way to expose myself to yeah. that community of fans and how enthusiastic they were about that style of music. But now that I know them a little bit more and I can see that enthusiasm, it it does 
pull me in. I do find it really cool. Yeah, there's there's always usually one like dedicated venue in town. Yeah. That like seems to exist and like transfers over really nicely from one venue to another. Like as one closes, someone or a group of people is always kind of like thinking of the next thing. Like 1067 closed. Uh, 1067 was an old club on Granville Street. Yeah, I never went there. Yeah. It was a trip. Man, <laughs> I used to drive out from White Rock every weekend while I was in high school to, to go to 1067. Um, just some amazing shows that happened there. Keeping in the kind of spirit of Vancouver history, I saw a really amazing version of In Sea by Terry Riley. Uh, Paul Plimley had organized it. It was during Jazz Fest, I think in 20, 2011 or 2012, maybe. Um, and that happened at 1067. It was a just a wicked experience um but then as that closed they opened up glenn 67 on hastings as that that one closed due to a fire um oh boy i can't remember the the one that came after i'm so embarrassed it was it's at the bottom of clark and is that merge yeah merge. Yeah, i went there merge yeah, yeah that was a really good venue yeah and then kind of was merged simmered down eight east kind of started to pop up it's it's just a beautiful like cyclical thing that that this, that little scene little that big scene has that, that like strength I think and they passion. would identify as little i mean to be i'm there they might not but i think at anybody's estimation we would have to think of it as as little it's not like well, supremely well capitalized or anything like that i'll maybe i'll use it or that prolific scene because yeah. we have such a like amazing improvisers in that scene like like peggy lee and yeah. Mer- meredith bates um we got well, I'm going to see a show at the Ironworks tonight, uh, Littles, which is Andromeda Monk and her band. It's going to mm-hmm. be lots of fun. Yeah, it's prolific, I think is the right word. Yeah. Size doesn't matter. Uh, Lisa K. Miller, obviously, is in that scene. Yeah. Just so creative. And now they have direct representation in the coastal jazz organization more than ever. Um I mean, especially in the post Ken Pickering era, I guess now they they have really established their presence on the board and in the organization. So that's definitely not slowing down. Yeah. And we are going to go see an Ironworks show on Friday, on July 1st, Gord Gardena's Nomad Trio with Matt Mitchell and Jim Black. That's an 11.30 p.m. starter. Oh, nice. So we're going to go to, speaking of things that happen in Vancouver all the time, we're going to go to Tyrant first, aren't we? to check out Amphibious, okay. which is kind of like a Brazilian-inspired band that play lots of Brazilian tunes and non-Brazilian tunes. Uh, Tobias Sully plays in that band. Uh, trumpet player Amelia Thomas. Trumpet player Chundin. Oh, yeah, I know him, yeah. Yeah, just some awesome players and people. They're playing at Tyrant. Okay. We'll go first. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, you got to get out before. Otherwise, you know, if, you, if you're trying to get me to leave the house at 1030 cold, I'm not going to be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love, and it's it's such a nice, like that. a lot of these shows that are happening, Jazz Fest Parallel, they've really kind of inserted themselves nicely into Jazz Fest. Yeah, like even Tyrant is not a Jazz Fest venue, right? And Pats is not a Jazz Fest venue this year either. And yep. the Tangent is... is Actually, I don't remember. Not officially. No, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. The other one is Guilt Co., which is... Right. But yes. and that feels yes. more like a Jazz Fest parallel thing that they've just slapped it's Coastal not. Jazz on. Because they were going to be doing the shows on there. Like, part of the calendar is I'll go seek out 
Like I spend a lot of time seeking out like venues on the that, venue that have websites, calendars. Right? Yeah. And Guilt is it's their regular programming during Jazz Fest, but it's nice that they got kind of added in. And it looks like the the fee structure is the same. Like yeah, they haven't raised the price. They haven't raised the price yet. to maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. But I mean, as they should. It's it's expensive to live in this city. It's expensive to go out to see shows, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna have to pay the artists more in the when you're trying to book them. Yeah, but yeah, that's for sure. important now more than yeah. ever. So, last thing I would want to hit on while we're here is what are we gonna do with this gig list thing? We started doing it into the month of May, so we got a pre Jazz Fest feel for what this takes. And right now, the way it's working is we're publishing it monthly, so you get this monthly list. Uh, and then I'm breaking off week by week and I'm sending that out as part of the free weekly article at Rhythm Changes, which is going great um, because then you don't have to just scroll through the monthly list. There is another option where you can get them sent to you week by week like that. But so we're going to be we're going to be flipping into July pretty soon here. And then post Jazz Fest, we're going to get feel for how it works because May was a very busy month in the community. We had hundreds of gigs even just in may pre-jazz fest and there's like almost 300 total gigs on the list for the month of june obviously because of the festival so it'll be interesting to see where it's gonna settle yeah in the rest of the summer going into the fall so in case anyone is wondering this is will pushing me to get started on on the july because i haven't even looked at it yet finishing school like what a time jazz well, nobody's fest is thinking kicking. about it we're just out there enjoying stuff right i feel like it's gonna be almost like coasting down the hill at full freaking like we're coming down the coca kind of like rocking at 140 kilometers an hour at least i'm hoping that's kind of how it it continues yeah that's kind of the vibe that i'm getting with like people being busy this summer like countless people on social media being like fully booked for the summer so you don't think there's going to be like a post-festival slump <sighs> i don't think so i really don't yeah well i mean yeah if i want to if i want to dig a little bit deeper on on that I think you have to find willing partners. Uh, I think that's been a really big strength of the straight ahead community for sure is that they, they found other places like obviously Pyatt Hall, even away from the Jazz Fest, they've done concerts there over the years too. Um, something like the Italian Cultural Center with like Corey Weeds' gigs there. And, you know, willing partners for the straight ahead community because they can prove demand up front when they're trying to talk to a new partner and be like, well, we know that we're good at bringing out roughly this amount of people for this type of event at this ticket price. So all you need to do is say yes kind of thing. You set it up, but certainly like it's just true. It's just a fact about like any DIY side of any music scene is that that capacity isn't there. Like people, you just can't say like out of any young person's jazz gig, like you can't really preload a strong prediction about how much demand there's going to be and so you, like not in a way that's legible to a to a partner but if i'm just imagining this right now i've seen i don't know if you've seen this like skytrain ads or something but i've seen advertisements that like granville island is hoping to expand their late night activity like it's like frankie's after dark they're talking about like granville island after hours or granville island after dark and so like if there's venues at granville island that want to stay open later um if there's enough legibility in our scene then we can go to them and we can be like well you should book some of the people in our community because we're getting this many people out on a regular basis and we have like this size of 
audience that we can contact about it and tell about it right away. And then they're much more likely to say yes than if every individual band has to go and try and pitch to these opportunities, right? So that's something that I hope it leads into for sure. Rhythm not, changes in general. It's not just young people. No, it's not just young people. That's right. It's anybody who's in the more decentralized part of the scene that's not like in the core straight ahead community or the core coastal jazz. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Being in those being in those circles is an interesting thing. Yeah. yeah I was talking with Artisher the other day and I was like, yeah, what's the secret to getting gigs? He's like, what scene do you want to be in? Go hang out with them. Yeah. Put yourself there. It'll happen. Be nice. Be pleasant. Have a good time. Just maybe dance a little bit. That's it. Well, now I know why I was never, I was never able to get too many gigs. <laughs> not, yeah, not dancing. Not, not enough. <laughs> I had a, I had a guy in one of the bands I played. He turned to me. He's like, "Well, you're not very good at dancing." And I just looked at him. I was like, "Hey, man, better than you are because you don't dance." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great note to end on. I love that. This is a fun hang. Uh, we haven't had too many chances to to sit down and chat for a while other than like maybe one Frankie's After Dark gig that we both um, attended. But uh, I appreciate you coming out to New West and being in the in the heat dome with me up here at our place. And uh, looking forward to Friday going out with you there. Yes. Yeah. And uh, thanks for everything that you do in, in putting the gig list together with me. And yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you like what you hear, I invite you to sign up to the free weekly article that I write. This week's article available now is a review that I wrote about the new album by the Adema Manukas Octet with a special focus on the playing of David Hodgson, who's originally from the Vancouver area, but has moved to Toronto to play saxophone. You can read about that. And if you like that, sign up for future editions of the free weekly article at rhythmchanges.ca.